On this episode of AvTalk, we say goodbye to a big chunk of the passenger 747 fleet. One airline is bringing a 747 back from the desert. One airplane caught fire in Shanghai. And our resident numbers expert, Gavin Werbeloff, joins us to discuss some pretty dismal numbers coming out across the industry. Hello and welcome to episode 90 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz and hello Ian. How are you and how was your summer? Hello Jason. I am doing well. My summer has been such as it is. It got hot and then it got very hot. hot. We all complained about the heat, and now it'll stay hot, and we'll continue to complain about the heat, and then it'll get less hot, and we'll complain about something else. Probably the cold. I mean, eventually, but I look forward to the cold. Wow. You're in the right place in Chicago, then. I am a cold person. I, I like. I do not like heat, because you, you can only take off so many layers. I mean, if that's, you're cold, you can just put on another layer. That's what I always say, but you take that to an extreme in Chicago that I, I really don't like. Well, I, I don't know what to tell you. But I'm looking forward to not not uh, walking outside and needing a new shirt immediately. Yes. So apparently, New York is now a a subtropical climate. Apparently, that we we've, we've shifted to that. Our summers are hot and humid enough where we have pretty bad th- thunderstorms rather regularly in the evenings here, and typically that would probably do bad, very bad things to air traffic in the New York area in the Northeast, but. These days, it's barely a blip. So uh, that's, a minor that's annoyance, unfortunately, still that's something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, that is something. Something else I wanted to to ask you about is is I heard you ran out of ketchup recently. Oh, did Andrew put you up to this? No one has put me up to this. I am up to mm-hmm. this on my own. Yeah, I, I ran out of ketchup, and, and thankfully, I have many friends that have surplus amounts of ketchup. Apparently, and. A large box of hundreds and hundreds of ounces of ketchup made its way across the country to my front door, and lots of ketchup was here. So I just want to point out that it was, what, six 105-ounce canisters? Yeah, yeah. the things you would typically see at a stadium where there's a nice pump that you could uh, pump out the ketchup onto a hot dog with. No, you you wouldn't do that. You would in New York. No, you, no, you wouldn't. But that's this. That's a different podcast for a different day. I just want to point out that Air Cargo uh, ensured that you had enough ketchup to continue your day. Yeah, I actually was not able to track that package coming to me because I, I didn't know it was coming to me until it was here. So I actually don't know if it flew to New York or if it was on a train or even a truck. We should investigate. I, I think we should go back to the source and, and find out. In the next episode, we'll track how Jason's did the ketchup. ketchup get here. So let's dive into what happened over the past couple of weeks. Because as is our standard operating procedure, we record on Tuesday or Wednesday of the week. The podcast comes out on Friday, and of course, in the intervening few days between the last time we recorded the podcast and when the podcast came out, some news happened. Yeah, this one's my fault, though. It absolutely 100% is. In the last episode, Jason said... Go on. What did I say? You said that you could still fly on a British Airways 747. At the time that I said it, that was a true statement. 
and it was a true statement for all of 72 hours. Then British Airways said, no, you can't. No, you can't. They're gone. They're, they're gone, effective immediately, and we will never fly them again. We don't even know if they're going to get any sort of official send-off or, or celebration or anything, do we? The – I don't want to call them rumors necessarily, but kind of scuttlebutt around the water cooler such as it is, uh, says that they're not inclined to participate in any sort of send-off because of the current climate they find themselves in. Well, that is just extremely unfortunate. It's a shame. I, I think more so than any other airline or even really any other aircraft, and I know people are going to argue and bicker about this. When and I and think by all of, means, email us you know, at podcast at fr24.com. When I think of British Airways, I think of the 747. When I think of the 747, I think of British Airways. The two are intrinsically linked. And to imagine a British Airways without a 747 is really difficult for me. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that um, you know. There, there was a couple, are a couple airlines that you immediately associate the the seven four seven with, and obviously the the first and foremost is Pan Am, just because of the history there. But then when when you kind of think of like the top three or four airlines, you know, I immediately think British Airways and KLM. Yeah, and the uh, KLM has already retired, or I think. Mostly retired. It's well, they, they, yeah. They have two serving in in, in cargo capacity, right. two combis serving in cargo cargo only capacity. But but yeah, they, they are not flying passengers anymore. Yeah, and KLM only had uh, a, a few towards the later days. But British Airways, a, a significant chunk of its wide body fleet was still the seven four seven. Yeah, I, I mean they were operating. You know, they had a, a fleet of thirty. So I mean that's now we're down to to Lufthansa with twenty eight. Yeah, um, I believe is, British uh, Airways was due to retire its entire 747 fleet by either 2023 or 2024. So the writing was on the wall, but the wall just got a whole lot closer. Right, <laughs> the, the the wall basically fell, you know, fell on top of the fleet. But it, there are still 747s out there. There are still chances, maybe, to to fly them. Should you want to go out and do that? Obviously, your best chance is going to be Lufthansa at some point. They haven't announced anything about retiring theirs. They're putting them into to storage, but planning on bringing them back. Um, so 28 there. Korean Airlines has 12. China Airlines has four. Air China has eight. And then you kind of start to whittle things down. I, I would say that, the, and, and uh, uh, Rossia has nine, but I would say that there's a good chance that maybe Thai Airways with eight is probably not bringing theirs back, or if they do, it won't be for long. But I, I could be wrong. Air India only has four, and it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing with theirs. And then there's a few with the charter airlines, like Wamos has five, and Atlas Air has four, so you can't really book a ticket on those, but you know, you've you got just to end up on one. You, you've got a decent chance of flying on those if you book a ticket on other airlines. Uh, yeah. So thankfully, at least for my New York City centric mind, we have three airlines that happen to be the three airlines that operate the seven four seven dash eight I, Lufthansa, Korean, and Air China. All at some point have operated the the dash eight two JFK, typically in the summers. So I hope we see them again, but. Honestly, there is a, a, a likely reality in which JFK 
does not see a 747 in regular passenger service again. I don't think it's out of the question that that's a possibility. And that makes me very, very sad. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was thinking about this the other day when, when we were putting kind of listing who who's still flying them and things like that. And and I was supposed to do a trip in in April. Originally, we we were going to uh, do something really cool. And one of the things that I was really looking forward to was flying the uh, Lufthansa's Dash Eight, but did not get that chance. But uh, maybe yeah, I don't know. Next year, year after, uh, it'll still be there and, and still be a possibility. But yeah, I mean the the BA fleet was just such you know, and I that that livery, all of the liveries. On the seven four seven, just looked so good, and and when they did the the heritage livery schemes, they just looked so good. Yeah, they were good, and I, I will definitely miss seeing them as BA basically ran a, a shuttle operation between New York and London, and any time between I don't know noon and eleven p.m., you were going to see a British Airways seven four seven here, and, and we'll never see that again. So that's uh, that's not great in my mind. No, I, I mean, I, I guess the the only chance to see them in the U.S. again is if they end up retiring some of them to the desert out here. And they almost um, certainly will end up here in the desert. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the some of them aren't terribly old as far as used seven four sevens go, so it, it could you know possibly end up that they they would come here. I know a few a few have gone to uh, to Kemble's, so that's um, you, you don't come back from there. But British Airways not the only airline to say goodbye to the 747. But this one was more planned. Uh, Qantas's farewell Jumbo Joy tour just rolls off the tongue. But they said goodbye to their last 747 last week. They did it in a bit of style, drawing the Qantas Kangaroo over the Pacific Ocean before heading over to Los Angeles and then off to the Mojave Desert for one final flight. So that, I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, that was a nice tribute. And it, it looked good too on the map. Yeah, it, it did. Yeah, it, I, I thought they, they did a nice job. It was um, someone posted the list of uh, waypoints that they entered into the, uh, it's a lot. the flight computer. It was <laughs> over 500 waypoints. So that was that was pretty cool. I wonder if they had to sit there and program that manually using the flight management computer or were they lucky enough just to be able to upload it? I, I really hope that they were able to upload it because that uh, – can you imagine getting through like halfway and then you realize you did it wrong and you know the, the kangaroo all of a sudden has antlers or something? Yeah. Those computers that they use to program that stuff, especially on older aircraft, are not advanced and it's a very manual process to enter that information. So I, I wonder what happens if you make a mistake and you go back and just quickly correct it or do you have to start over? Huh. I one would hope that you can just go back one waypoint, but I don't even want to think about what would happen if you had to start all over. No, one airline is bringing a seven four seven back to life. This does not happen often. the The last time it happened, I think, was in March, and that was when Atlas pulled one of their seven four sevens that had been in storage back into service. But theirs hadn't been in service very or hadn't been out of service very long. This particular one, on the other hand, has been parked since 2013. That is a very long time to, it is. to have an aircraft sit around to then reactivate it. 
Uh, yeah. So this is uh, the current registration is N756CA. And so National Airlines is taking this particular craft. They took it out of the uh, the desert at Marana in Arizona. They flew to San Antonio where it's going to go for a, a heavy check uh, because it's been sitting for, you know, seven years. And then it's going to be put into cargo service. This particular airframe is 29 years old, first flew with Singapore Airlines in passenger configuration from 1992 to 2006, was then converted and became one of uh, Dragon Air's Boeing converted freighters. And this was actually the first 747 converted under the Boeing Converter Freighter Program in Singapore. So there's a really random trivia tidbit. It then flew for Cathay Pacific Cargo until it was retired in 2013, and now it springs back to life. There you go. Yeah. So uh, how about that? That's something. That's a very long time. I, I would love to know what the what the qualifications are, are, are the what was special about that aircraft to make them pluck it out of the desert after seven years? Why that one? They owned it. Well, that'll do. Yeah. Yeah. I, probably good price, good good mileage. They kicked the tires. Tires look good. I, no, I, I, I don't know. That, that would be an interesting question. I, I would also like to know what it takes because obviously they, they made it airworthy enough to get it to a heavy check. So what is what is the difference between it's good enough to fly from Arizona to Texas versus okay we can put this into service now? If only we had a podcast and could ask somebody to be a guest and explain that thing. If only we were already planning to try and have that happen. Oh well. Indeed. Other retirements, the first A330 gone. Gone. Also Cathay. Yeah, they took a lot of first. So they had the 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 first A three thirty and the what was it last year they retired the first triple seven two hundred. Were there any others that you can think of? Don't know. Okay, good answer. But in, in this case, it was the the first A three thirty. I don't believe it was the first. I don't believe Cathay was the first airline to operate an A three thirty. I believe that was Air Inter, but in this case, it was the first production aircraft. It was the it was the same with the triple seven two hundred. It wasn't the the first because Boeing kept it around for a while and then it was re-engined. Um, right. They switched it from Rolls Royce to GE or GE to Rolls one or the other, and then Cathay you know retired it last year. So so in this case, it was twenty four years of loyal service. Cathay says I completed more than sixty three thousand hours and nearly twenty seven thousand cycles. So that had uh, quite a career. Loyal service, indeed. Loyal service. How, so it started. How, uh, how would an aircraft have unloyal, like a unloyal I don't know, service? Like, constantly how would that work? a maintenance issue. If uh, I don't know, if Bad, yeah. if it constantly. Well, I mean, there are aircraft that never find a true home, a forever home. There are lots of lots of them out there that bounce around from airline to airline, literally every year or even every season. That's so true. That's this true. This aircraft, after it came from Airbus, it operated with Cathay. Dragon Air, which was later rebranded to Cathay Dragon, and that was it. It was always based in Hong Kong for its entire life. That's uh, you make a good point, and and you know I'm thinking about the Air Transat seven three sevens that get shared with European carriers and, and bounce back and forth and all things like that. And yeah, up with there, some there are very some interesting liveries. When, when I look at the list of its prior operators, it, it goes on. It, it's 
a dozen plus, and and some of them are airlines I don't I've never even heard of. But this case, yeah, loyalty. I guess it's not the aircraft choice, but it was its destiny. Deep words from Ooh, Jason Rubinowitz right here. The so we talked last last episode about the report that the Iranian Civil Aviation Organization issued. This week we're talking about the black boxes that went to the BEA center in France. Iran sent those over and examined though the BEA examined those. That technical downloading of all of the data and the the reviewing of the cockpit voice recorder that has all taken place. We don't know the results of that, obviously, because there, there's been no report yet. But a, a number of organizations were party to that. The, the Iranian investigators, the, the BA obviously was doing all the technical work, but also the Canadian investigators were there as representatives of Canada because a number of the people on board the aircraft were Canadian. So that is in progress. We probably won't have something for many months, I would assume, but we should have that information eventually. The last episode, we also talked about the International Court of Justice ruling regarding Qatar, and we misstepped a little bit in in our reading of the or our understanding what was uh, we misinterpreted the actual result of the ruling. So, so basically, it wasn't a ruling in Qatar's favor as far as the blockade was concerned. It was a ruling that said that ICAO can, in fact, hear their complaint about the blockade, which was good news for Qatar, but not necessarily anywhere near the end of what's happening. Interesting. I actually did not know that until this very moment. Well, see, I, I go and I do homework and then I bring it to you and and that is why we're here. Yes. Yeah, so so the, the what the ICJ was actually ruling on was an appeal by the four states that are currently blockading Qatar, the UAE, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt, um, and all saying they were arguing that that because the resolution went beyond just or because of the blockade going beyond just aircraft and and flying that ICAO wasn't the right venue for that um, the ICJ said no uh, ICAO can hear the the blockade and so now it goes back to to ICAO to make a determination so we're, we're really a year away from anything happening at that at least but it, it does settle the venue for what uh, what is going to happen. And now uh, Qatar Airways, uh, their parent company has asked for a $5 billion award of damages separately because of the blockade. So there's a lot going on there, but wanted to clarify what we talked about last week. Uh, we clarified it in, in a blog post, which I can toss into the show notes, but we also had someone write in who listened to last week's episode and said, hey, you guys got this wrong, which we did in fact get it wrong. But this week we are getting it right. That's good. We like getting things right. Indeed. Let's see. What else? Oh, if you have a 737 that you put into storage in the last few months and have now taken it out of storage, you need to check your valves. Well, I I should head out to the uh, garage and check on my 737s and make sure my valves are properly operating. You should. You should do that. That's exactly what you should do. So, what happened is... 
There were four incidents of single engine failures that occurred on engines that were on aircraft that were stored in the past few months and then brought back out of storage. And this was caused by the bleed air valve on the engine that controls things like um, air conditioning and and other things within the aircraft, or, or not controls, but allows for that got stuck open and that led to engine an engine unrecoverable engine failure. One engine failure is not so good. You need to take care of that and, and get on the ground as quickly as possible. Two becomes a, an extremely serious issue, and you certainly don't want that. Yeah. You, you never want two engines to fail unless you have four engines and then it's, you know, not the end of the world. Not the end of the world, but as we've discussed uh, pretty extensively in the show, the four-engined aircraft is going away. But in the 737's case, um, they only have two. It would be interesting to see a 747 with four engines, but that's neither here nor there. Basically, the FAA says you need to take a an, an inspection of this particular valve, check for corrosion. If there's corrosion, replace the valve. If there's not, congratulations, you can uh, you can keep flying. Yeah, and this is not terribly surprising. As, as much ink has been spilled in the last few months about just how much work actually goes into maintaining grounded aircraft. It was written about the max before you know, the world kind of went upside down and a large chunk of the global fleet was grounded. But you can't just park an aircraft in the Mojave and, you know, toss the keys in the box and come back six months later. These aircraft require constant maintenance, cleaning, rotation of equipment, tires, the engines need to be started up. And these these things were just not designed to sit on the ground for extended periods like that. So things are going to happen like that. Yeah, and and so I, I think we'll probably see things crop up like this, you know, as we move on. But this is part of the you know the the safety thing. This happened four times. The FAA said, okay, everybody, go check for this, and you have to check for it relatively quickly. You have to, you know, basically take a look at the plane when you get this particular airworthiness directive, um, which was last week. So they're, you know, checking all of those. And I'm sure that uh, any identified issues will be quickly, uh, quickly fixed. Indeed. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with our resident numbers expert, Gavin Werbeloff, about the second quarter that was financial results from the airlines, what they're looking forward to in the third quarter, or more realistically, not looking forward to, and figure out where where the industry sits at the moment. I, I have a feeling this is going to be a very uplifting conversation. Yeah, totally. Definitely. <laughs> Everything is good. Don't worry about it. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are now joined by our resident numbers expert, Gavin Werbeloff, who is here to walk us through the sea of quarterly earnings uh, and give us an idea of the lay of the land as far as major airlines and what Boeing released today for, for their quarterly earnings report. Gavin, welcome back to the show. It is good to be with you, although I wish it were under better circumstances. I, I, I just hope everyone's got their preferred adult beverage at hand. 
Gavin, how are the numbers feeling? They're not so happy. <laughs> They're not good. I don't think anyone has had good numbers, with the exception of maybe Atlas Air, who's found themselves busier than they can imagine, and Kalita, and a lot some of the charter cargo operators. Oh, hell, even uh, cargo, uh, air freight is way down this quarter, too. Yeah, it's it was a sort of, you know, end of, you know, last month of first quarter, first two months of second quarter, pent up demand. And, you know, as a result of, you know, post 2008, where most belly, most cargo was flown in the bellies of airliners, when passenger airliners aren't flying, there goes the cargo capacity. And so we've all been seeing a lot more cargo planes flying around. They're very, very busy. So we've got some airline earnings and, you know, how the financial position of the airlines, but the, I thought we could start with what Boeing released today and and not so much their financial numbers because we all know that they're terrible, but more so their, their outlook. And one of the things that they announced today was the official end of production for the 747 is scheduled for 2022. There are 12 747 freighters left to produce, and then it's all over. We kind of knew it was coming, but it's hearing it officially makes me very sad. Just because we all knew it was going to happen doesn't make it any less less sad. You know, the Boeing financial statements had hinted at this for a while. There were no new orders coming in, so it was going to to be that anyway. But making it official and, and, and seeing it in writing really does kind of lend some lend some weight to it. Yeah. I mean it's it's the end of the line for the Queen. Never in raise a glass. There you go. Let let's go from from biggest well, I don't even know if it's biggest to smallest, but let's go from from most number of engines to to fewer number of engines. The triple seven and triple seven X combined line will now go down to two a month, uh, which isn't a huge surprise. Also, not a huge surprise, but worth noting, I think, is that the entry into service for the triple seven X now goes to twenty twenty two. Right. I mean, I think that's. That's definitely, you know, there were some issues with the GE9X engine that pushed back first flight, but I think this is, a, you know, the delay in, of entry into service is very much a COVID-related casualty. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the engine recovery had, or the engine issues had mostly recovered, and now the, the issue has really been around flight testing and the delays that have happened since. So I, I think that's one of the big things as, as well. But again, no, no huge surprise there. The interesting thing, I, the, I think the most interesting thing for me today was the 787 news. Yeah, this is a doozy. So, possibly. Possibly. It could possibly be nothing. Right, right. So, so we're at 14 per month uh, on the 787 build across two facilities, one in Everett, Washington, one in South Carolina. Now they're going to go down to six per month, and Boeing says that it has begun studying the feasibility of producing the 787 at one final assembly plant. And I think we all know which one it will be. 
For those of us listening at home, Jason, which one will it be? It's not going to be Puget Sound related. I think it's going to be on the East Coast. I agree. A, it's a labor issue, but B, the 78710 can only be built in Charleston. It cannot be built at Everett. They manufacture some of the fuselage sections in a facility immediately adjacent to the final assembly line, and those sections cannot fit in a Dreamlifter. So there you go. It's uh, pretty impossible to see a future where uh, 787s are only produced up in Everett, since that actually isn't possible for the Dash 10. So there could be a future in the not too distant future, actually, where the 787 is, is no longer produced in the Seattle region. But I mean, ba- backing up, you know, 14 a month, that's 168 787s a year. That is an astounding number of wide bodies to produce. And just for reference, from the first delivery of a 777 in 1995, it took Boeing just under 17 years to get to the number, you know, line number 1,000. So 1,000 deliveries took just under 17 years. The 1,000th 787, which is a 787-10 going to Singapore Airlines, flew for the first time in April of this year. If it had been delivered on February 27th of this year, Boeing would have delivered 1,000 787s in half the time it took to deliver 1,000 777s. That's a pretty remarkable figure. Um, I, I would say that there's definitely less competition in the air in that, t- in that segment of aircraft these days. But still, that's, that's an astoundingly fast pace compared to its previous generation. Right. I mean, and, uh, I, I haven't looked at Airbus's production rates, and I mean, they're clearly not that. I think they're going down to six, I think they're going down, also going down to six A350s a month and three 330 and 330 Neos a month. So they're also rolling back their production. But just 168 wide bodies a year, just 787s, Boeing had its reasons for getting to that production pace. But Unless the appetite for wide bodies was completely inelastic, it was insatiable and continued indefinitely and completely unabated, there was no way that 787 production wasn't going to end up like a runaway freight train. It was At some point, they were going to have to slow it down, and it was not going to be pretty. Because there's just, there's just no need for that many airplanes. So in this case, it's still not pretty, but something else did it for them. Correct. I think I think they I think they were doing like thirty. I forget how many thirty something, thirty one, thirty two, seven three sevens a month. It's like that's not sustainable. There's no there's no way there's a market you know for an for that many planes at sort of in and that pace for an indefinite period of time. It's one way to churn through the uh, the backlog real quick. Yeah. So so seven three seven max. Let's let's move to that. Everyone drink. Yeah. So we've got Boeing announces today that 
they've moved back their planned production increase of the 737 MAX to 31 per month to 2022. So, so basically moving that goal a year later. Also today, more cancellations for the 737 MAX. Uh, Aircap canceling 15 of theirs, leaving roughly 80 for, for their order book. Um, and, and Gavin, you have some numbers on, on cancellations overall. Cancellations that occurred in 2020 of the 737 MAX started in February and we're now at 477, of which 65 remain unidentified. Over 50%, 264 of the cancellations are from lessors. GCAS, Avalon, Airlease, BOC, now Aircap. That is not good news for Boeing. If, if those leasing companies are canceling their orders, is that simply because they don't think they'll actually be able to place those aircraft Correct. with an airline? Correct. And so they're predicting that the market in the not too distant future, there won't be a market for the MAX, or there won't be to the degree they thought there was when they ordered those aircraft initially. Correct. Look, I think something, a tidbit from the Boeing earnings is that the sort of estimate for the next couple of years is that whereas a big chunk of these orders had been envisioned to be for growth, we're now going to see them for replacement sort of replacing older aircraft. So we're not going to see the overall fleet grow. We're just going to see churning and, and and older aircraft being taken out of service, which is kind of similar to what happened in post-2008 when FedEx converted a bunch of 777 freighter orders to 767 freighter orders. And what that said was, well, we don't think there's going to be a ton of need for capacity growth, we're going to convert our orders to things that'll let us make our fleet younger. So it means we can get MD-10s and A300s out of the fleet faster. I know we're going to talk about American a little bit later in this interview, but that also sounds a lot like what American was doing with its fleet. Uh, It was taking on a lot of Max and a lot of 787s, but those were direct replacements for aircraft it was retiring rather than, I, I feel like rather than expanding, they were replacement for much, much older aircraft. Right. I th- that's, I mean, it's a, it's a different, God, it's a, it's a different story for each of those segments. So American basically caused the birth of the MAX in 2011. Without American, there would be no MAX. They have a very large fleet of 737-800s which are starting to get older. And so the, I think the initial, the order was for hundred, I think it was either hundred or 150 in the initial order. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's for fleet replacement, but they're also increasing the seat counts. You know, when they ordered them, they were at like, they were in the process of going from 160 to 150 seats and then they went back up to 160, and now by the time the maxes are arriving, they're at 172. So it's there's going to be a there's a lot going on at American. Um, okay, a, so a so let's officially <laughs> let's officially transition to our discussion about about airlines. And I know you've been digging into some real real deep numbers 
on American especially, but but let's kind of walk back and, and say, uh, how is the health of the global airline industry? I mean, everyone lost money. No one made money. Um, if you look at the big six American carriers. I was told by the CEO of a major airline that they were never going to lose money again. Uh, which major airline was that? Pray tell. <laughs> huh. I, I seem to remember it being American, could it be? In fact, it was. Wow. And not only that, in twenty since 2014, the CEO of American has been in, compensated entirely in stock. <laughs> Whoops. Um, which doesn't bode well for him right now, but also creates bizarre incentives in the way that they run the company. So let's talk about what has happened with with the major airlines, especially in the U.S. This quarter, are there any highlights that that we should be looking at for you know moves that are going to be made over the next quarter? So what you know, kind of focusing on the the health of the airlines, is there anything we should be looking out for? So I think of the of the big three, probably I would say that United United probably get, get wins. For for best Q2, they had the highest yield, which is defined as passenger revenues divided by revenue passenger miles. So they had, you know, they didn't have the highest load factor, but they had the best yield. They also, interestingly, their air cargo revenue grew year over year. So they made about three hundred. They took in about three hundred million of of cargo revenue in second quarter 2019 that was at 400 million in second quarter 2020 neither of the other two of the big 3 grew their cargo revenue and i saw numerous twitter threads and conversations about oh what's what's this 777 300ER doing in guam they got creative and they went chasing revenue and were able to do it with very fuel efficient planes very few 777-200s were around the 777-300s were flying to mumbai the 78710s were doing transatlantic. They made the best of, of what they had and went went out and got revenue where they could find it. And they probably were ranked number – I'd rank them number one performance-wise of the big three. Number two was Delta. And I I heard you guys last last time say they lost $7 billion in the, in, in the quarter. That include, included $4.5 billion of write-downs. $2 billion of uh, write-downs on JV investments in Aeromexico and in LATAM, and another $1.4 million in fleet write-downs from retiring the 777s, amongst others. So they sort of circled the wagons, and you know they started 2020 with by far the lowest debt number of the big three. And they raised the most debt of the big, uh, the, the the most amount of cash of the big three because they could. They had the strongest balance sheet, so I think they're sort of. And they have other concerns. Their transatlantic joint venture and, and their fifty percent ownership of of Virgin Atlantic, they needed to protect, and they couldn't use any of the CARES Act money or any of the government loans that they got from the US government to do a capital injection into Virgin Atlantic. They were forbade from doing that. So uh, we found out last week that there was a restructuring plan for Virgin Atlantic, which is good for Delta. I think they've been 
very conservative because they have the most to lose at this point. United had, they transitioned Oscar Munoz out of the CEO role, brought in uh, Scott Kirby, who was previously at American. So, you know, I think American, uh, sorry, United really did the best in the second quarter. Delta came in second and American had a pretty dismal for second quarter. They flew a much bigger schedule than anyone else. They ran 17 billion ASMs. Delta ran 10 and a half. United ran just under nine. Uh, so they were in a much bigger schedule. They had higher, they had much higher uh, load factors. They were 42% full, but their total revenue was only about a hundred million more than Delta United. Delta was at 1.47 billion. United was at 1.475 and American was at 1.6. So the the argument for that, at least as I as I heard it, was that it was to gain market share from the other, basically the other two airlines, as best they could. Did that work? It's hard to say, but I kind of laugh because you know pre two thousand eight, everyone was chasing market share, and all that's all they wanted. And then two thousand eight, all the airlines got got the the yield religion. And they've all been far more disciplined since then. American has problems that mean that running a big schedule and hoping people buy tickets were really its only option at this point. That Um, doesn't sound like a good place to be. No, it doesn't. So American, just to give some perspective, American went into 2020 with 20.8 just under 21 billion of secured debt, which includes their WTCs. Their WTCs are enhanced equipment trust certificates. They're a finance, they are financing vehicles for airplanes. And roughly half the debt on their balance sheet, on the group balance sheet, was WTC debt. They ended this the first six months of 2020 with 28 billion of debt on their balance sheet. But here's the quirk. If you look at, if you, you know, we're getting nerdy, we're going into the cash flow statement on the quarterly report. And in the, even though the net debt number increased by 6.6 billion on, on total debt on the balance sheet, that included just under two and a half billion of principal repayments. So they actually raised nine billion of debt, but close to, a little over a quarter of it was used to pay down other debt, which is not a situation you want to be in. So I, you know, again, you're a numbers expert, and I am most certainly the opposite of that. But if I'm taking out a credit card to pay off another credit card, that's generally found upon. Yes. So it sounds like American has a is this let me ask you this is this going to be a bigger issue for American in the future or is this kind of a one time deal It could be for the following reason So WTC structures which is how American really likes to finance their planes are have ups, upsides and downsides what happens is you know in, in this part of this is you know America a couple 
a couple weeks ago, we saw headlines of Americans saying, oh, we might not be able to take delivery of Maxes because um, we don't have financing. Boeing needs to come up with the financing. So the driver behind that is that what American usually does is they will take available cash and just basically cut Boeing a check. They'll just write a check for that amount uh, for the plane. What they will do later on is take a number of aircraft and assign them into a double ETC. And what they do is they basically assign ownership of those planes into this vehicle and they use an independent trustee. And that vehicle will issue bonds backed by the planes. And American enters into a lease agreement that provides enough cash flow into the vehicle into the financing vehicle to cover all the bond payments. And so for instance, in 2019, they they issued a double ETC where they were raising one point just under $1.1 billion and they were throwing in 35 planes. A321 CEOs, A321 NEOs, 3738s, 3788s, and the remainder were E175LRs. Of that 1.1 billion, the none of the NEOs have been delivered. So only 800 there's still not, you know, th- just under 300 million dollars outstanding in that vehicle of cash. But on a, you know, just to give you an example of a on a fully loaded basis, that 1.1 billion of of debt costs a requires payments of 116 million dollars, just under 117 million dollars a year of of lease payments into the vehicle, and not to get overly nerdy. Oh, sure, why not? Um, I think we're long past that. So what what the way these financing vehicles work is that there are they've they've there are three layers and the most senior layer is the most protected and has the lowest interest rate and then the middle layer is you know, and is a 12 and a half year term there's a three and a second layer is another 12 and a half year term but a slightly higher interest rate at three and a half percent and the third tier is eight and a half years and 3.8 percent interest rate and the interest rates are good the 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 killer piece of this is the amortization. So in the first six months of the year, they paid down five hundred million dollars of loan principal on WTC structures across across the airline, which is normally good to reduce debt. The problem is is that when you need cash, you don't want to be forced into making principal repayments of which you know that was relatively about half a billion out of two and a half billion of principal repayments was the double ETCs. When, so, um, so long long in the short of it I, I mean it because I, I don't want to get too 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 far in, in into Americans financing vehicles but let's just say that they might have some issues coming down the line yeah yes and what makes these double ETCs particularly onerous is that they wouldn't be part of a chapter 11 bankruptcy. So, so they so, would still owe money, even even if they declared bankruptcy and went into chapter 11 for restructuring, they would still owe this money full. Yes. And it gets back to, you know, we saw, we've, we've seen American, you know, Americans term loan priced at like 12 and a half percent and their, this price on credit default swaps went way up. The way that 
they get interest rates in the low to mid threes on these WTCs is that they is by placing the ownership in a separate structure with an independent trustee, doing a number of things referred to as credit enhancements that give that bondholders just fine. That it gives bondholders a lot more comfort. And it's the reason that there are these relatively low interest rates. The problem becomes I saw an opinion letter from a major law firm that said WETCs are are by design bankruptcy remote. You know, the credit rating on the WETCs is much better than Americans' overall credit rating, and it's because of these credit enhancements. Well, I say that it sounds like we'll be talking about these again if things don't start to shape up. But things not looking terribly great for the airline industry in general, certainly not looking all that good for for American right now. And we'll just have to keep following to see if and when people return to the skies. Our resident numbers expert, Gavin Werbeloff, thank you so much for joining us once again. Uh, We really appreciate you lending your expertise. I'm not sure I really lifted the mood. You didn't- You tried, but you tried. tried, But the numbers, they're not on your side today. No, the numbers don't care about your feelings, but sadly- these numbers make me very sad. Maybe next time we're uh, we're here, we can we can have some happy numbers. I but either way, like we appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. Welcome back. Our chat with Gavin was always, you know, as always, enlightening, uh, informative, more numbers than than you or I generally deal with on on a regular basis. But did I, I think I was wrong about the uplifting part before? Were you really expecting it to be? Uplifting? Uh, no, no. But no, I'm just, no. you know, for the record, I, I, I was wrong. Yeah, unfortunately, the uh, the only color airline accounting departments know right now is, is red. They have lost all of their black pens. <laughs> What what airline is still doing all of its accounting in in actual pen and ink? I don't know. Southwest was still doing paper tickets until like last week. That's that's fair. That's fair. Okay, so th- this is a, a bizarre turn of events. In the course of three days, Iceland Air fired all of its flight attendants, told the pilots that they were going to be flight attendants. No one ever figured out how that was going to work. Then the FAAs, the the flight attendants voted to strike basically immediately. Then the next day after that, they reached some sort of agreement and now things are back to where they were before with a new agreement. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm still seeing articles published or not published, but tweeted out by major publications saying, uh, Iceland Air fires all its flight attendants, pilots to take over. Um, this this didn't actually happen. It was they never. I don't believe they ever actually operated a flight uh, with the cabin crew utilizing pilots. Right? No, no. It, 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 it never this, got this to whole. That. This whole story took place in less than seventy two hours from so the seventeenth to the nineteenth of July. Uh, it was all over. Yeah, I, I, this is it's crazy, and especially in Iceland, where uh, Iceland Air actually makes up a, a good chunk of the employment in the entire country. Um, just a few months ago, or, or I guess a year ago at this point, when Wow Air went out of business, that was a considerable hit to the country's economy. Yeah. And to see the in, entirety of the Iceland Air cabin crew laid off and replaced by pilots? I, 
I don't even what? know how that like I I I can't even fathom how that would work even in a reduced what's the word I'm looking for kind of reduced service because of COVID. I can't even fathom how that would work. No, and, and this really goes to show how truly I, far I, I away this industry actually remains from a return to some reality that we are familiar with. It's just we're not there and we are a long way from being there. But we don't actually have to worry about that because none of this is going to happen. They reached an agreement and now they're back to being Iceland Air the normal way. Yeah, absolutely crazy. And I, I shouldn't say normal, but you know normal. I mean. Some version of what could be construed as normal, but I, I think These this goes days. to show just how far away the airline industry and tourism as a whole is from returning to something we would recognize as normal. I mean, just a few weeks ago, Iceland was supposedly reopening to tourism. They would do COVID testing on arrival. That never worked. And they were operating or scheduling ghost flights, which they knew were never actually going to depart. And now they were going to fire all their flight attendants and staff those flights with pilots. It's just, we are so far from anything resembling what we thought this industry was that it's it's shocking yeah i mean the 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 recovery timeline that we've seen that we saw uh from various places whether those were airlines specific like specific airlines group airline groups um you know, trade, in, you know, industry, trade publications, things like that. They just keep expanding. The level of demand has not materialized to where, you know, they thought it wasn't. And I think a lot of people were, were hoping that, you know, we would crest the first wave, flatten the curve, and then, you know, deal with a, a possible second wave in the fall. But realistically, that hasn't happened, at least in the U.S., you know, for the most part, overall, that hasn't happened. And with international travel not in the cards for at least the rest of the summer, I mean, that, that seems like a huge missed opportunity and, and a huge hit to the travel industry. Yeah, especially Iceland there, which makes a, a huge percentage of its revenue, not only tourists actually just flying to Iceland, but shuttling people between North America and Europe via Iceland. It's right. Just, that is not an option right now. So here's a thing that we talked about originally in episode 65, so 20, 25 episodes ago. A Smartwings 737 flew from from Greece to, to Prague after suffering an engine failure. At the time, we didn't we we knew that there had been some sort of engine issue and that then we learned that there had been an engine failure and and that they had continued um, the aircraft landed safely in in prague the final report has now come out and there's a lot going on here the, it's the, a lot to unpack yeah the captain misled air traffic controllers about the serious engine failure and in the process ignored the first officer saying that you know all of these standard procedures said that they need to divert 
and land, or at least advise air traffic control of what has happened so that air traffic controllers can assist them with clearing traffic. Because when you're only flying on one engine, you have to descend to a more uh, a better altitude for the you know the efficiency of the aircraft that happened but they didn't tell air traffic control so they just kind of flew at 24,000 feet on one engine through a number of airspace changes Greece Serbia Hungary 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 and Austria among them um and uh I'm missing one North Macedonia and Who could forget so, that one? Yeah. So then, and only then, did they say anything about, oh, we we need to land because we only have one engine. Right. And then I believe it said when they arrived, they had just barely over the required amount of reserve fuel down to like, I think it was measured in the a hundred, maybe 100 gallons of additional fuel needed above reserve. So they were cutting it pretty close. Yeah, it was not uh, not a good situation. The investigators faulted, among other things, a toxic cockpit atmosphere, as well as extremely kind of um, what sort terrible CRM. What uh, CRM? Yeah. <laughs> So crew resource management. So basically the interaction between the crew. And this has been faulted in some crashes previously and where the the you know the captain's word was was the final there was no questioning the captain uh, and that led to in the past uh, some very bad outcomes in this okay. particular case that was again faulted. and that is what we saw here that the uh, I don't have the exact quote in front of me but basically the captain flying the aircraft had a lot of hours on the 737 he was a very higher up pilot in the airline and basically he had a god complex he he thought that he knew better than procedures that he knew the aircraft that he knew and understood the situation and there wasn't going to be a problem but no person no human being could possibly know everything that's going to happen or everything that has happened. He knew that an engine has shut down for a reason. You don't know why that engine has shut down. You don't have the full picture. You may have pieces or nuggets of information that can possibly lead you to to theorize why the engine is shut down. But to just continue on and, and pretend like the it wasn't actually a problem, that they could just continue on and that there was no possible threat of another failure impacting that aircraft is just beyond ignorant. Yeah, it was you know just a, a terrible, terrible and toxic atmosphere. The captain had eight thousand hours on the seven three seven. The first officer had almost twenty five hundred. The first officer during the course of the investigation called the continuation to Prague illogical, and he repeatedly tried to highlight the the requirement that the aircraft land at the nearest suitable airport because of their their lost engine. They also the investigators also basically said they couldn't figure out why the captain decided to do to to continue the flight all the way to Prague. It was. Uh, you know, not understandable on their part why the captain would do that. Yeah, that's uh, all sorts of concerning, and I hope that the uh, that pilot is not employed at that airline at this point. 
the, that information was not part of the report as far as I saw. So we'll, we'll check in on that. I wonder if any you know, local news have, have picked that up. News this week about your favorite airline and mine, Jet Airways. Oh, they've they've received two bids for the remaining assets that the airline has. We'll see what comes of that. I assume not much at this point, but we shall see. Cool. Yeah. Any take here for Air India while we happen to be in the region? No, nothing. Nothing on oh, that one. I am shocked. You, you don't sound shocked. I am not shocked. You're Wait right. Wait a minute. Yeah, no, no, just just Jet Airways and, and two bids there. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. What else happened this week? Oh, an Ethiopian Airlines cargo triple seven caught fire in Shanghai. Why does this keep happening to Ethiopian? <laughs> well, it, it seems like this is different than the last time. The Jason's, I believe, referring unless I'm missing an Ethiopian. Uh, yes, I am fire. referring to the Ethiopian. Uh, 787 that randomly burst into flames at Heathrow, which was later discovered to be uh, a faulty emergency locator beacon. Uh, the lithium-ion battery on that had a thermal runaway and destroyed uh, a little bit of the fuselage towards the tail, which they were actually able to repair and get flying again, um, which was completely unrelated to the earlier battery issues on the 787. Right. Uh, this was not a seven eight seven. This was a triple seven, a a four year old triple uh, seven. A freighter. Uh, freighter. Yep. Not and a passenger aircraft. This was a dedicated uh, Boeing delivered freighter. Correct. And so the, the this was happening during cargo loading in Shanghai, and we don't have any word on what caused the fire, uh, but it, it does look like it started near the rear of the aircraft. And so I'm sure the investigation will, will reveal what caused the fire and, and what, uh, what caused it to, to burn yeah, and this quite time rapidly. Around, it it and, does not uh, look like yeah. this aircraft is going to be repaired. Uh, in my unprofessional, unscientific opinion is this aircraft is toast. I, I would be very surprised. We've been surprised in the past. I mean, the we Ethiopian have, yes. uh, 787 flew again. The British Airways 777 that burst into flames in uh, uh, Las Vegas, Vegas flew yep. again. But then there are other cases like the American 767 that also burst into flames in Chicago, uh, never flew again. In, in the American 767's defense, the wing did melt off. It, it did literally melt. So that's a tough one to patch. Yeah. You, you would need a, a whole new wing there. Just not worth it. But that, that one's still sitting in Chicago. And really? probably, yeah, I, I believe it's, well, I, I know that it's wrapped up in plastic and uh, the wing is sitting underneath the rest of the aircraft and it will likely sit there until all of the insurance and legal maneuvering has been done. And then they'll have to either take it apart where it sits or maybe they'll truck it out. I don't know. Speaking of which, I'm going off script here, but you might recall a, a little over a year ago at JFK, an American, speaking of American... Uh, ah, an, yes. An A321, one of its ultra premium aircraft, the A321T, departed JFK. We still don't know why this happened, but it was way off the center line on takeoff on 31 left. And the uh, left wing smashed into a runway distance marking sign. Eventually returned to JFK. I think it was in the air for probably an hour. Uh, unfortunately, there's no uh, tracking of this flight, so you'll just have to imagine it. 
but that aircraft has remained at JFK for 12, 15, 16 months now. And I can finally confirm that that aircraft will never fly again, which is pretty shocking because it's only a few years old. Well, and, and we had talked about this before where Airbus, I believe, had sent folks to, to help get it back into the air. Yeah, that's uh, not happening. So that incident was April 10th, 2019. The aircraft was November 114, November, November. It's toast. It will never fly again, which is now official. But we've never heard anything from the NTSB about it. Was that an issue or, or should should I say, is the decision because of the current climate in which we find ourselves or, or was it because of the damage to the aircraft was just I think it saving? was damage to the aircraft was too extensive. I would have been surprised if this aircraft had flown again just because the amount of time this was taking to get it back in the air, uh, it, right, it right. has sat untouched as far as I know and they've been – I've seen – unconfirmed information that American has been kind of robbing parts from it uh, to support the rest of its fleet. But now it is uh, officially confirmed to me that it will not fly again. I, I don't think it's COVID related because there are not all of that many aircraft in that configuration in American's fleet to begin with, and they kind of need them all. All of the parts have been stripped, and now it's just time to say goodbye. Sad. Indeed. It's not being uh, parted out just yet, but hopefully... I don't know how you scrap an aircraft at JFK, but hopefully it can get a second life doing something at the airport. Don't know what, but we'll see. Do they need a new fire trainer? Could be. There you go. That'd be cool. Let us end the show with some 737 MAX news. The FAA is working on the order that will allow the 737 MAX to return, begin its return to service following the certification flights last month. And what they announced was that after that order comes through, there will be 45 days of public comment on the particular order before the FAA finalizes any rulings allowing the aircraft to begin its return to service. I just want to say that I am thoroughly looking forward to reading all of those comments. Oh, this is going to be a fun docket to read. People have opinions on this matter. Yeah, and this is li- literally public comment. Anyone can go to the the regulations website and comment however much they want. Uh, I believe there's a character limit, but you can probably leave more than one comment on how you feel about the proposed rulemaking. The one thing that you don't have to do is stay on topic. Well, it would be nice, but you don't have to. And some recent comments about various other things have proven that people have opinions no matter what, and they often don't stay on topic. So this is going to be an interesting 45 days of public comment. Oh, yeah. I am looking forward to reading this. So fire up, fire up your popcorn maker and, and kick back and read public comments on the FAA's ungrounding order. What could possibly, possibly be more exciting? On that note. On that note. This has been episode 90 of AvTalk. We should start planning episode 100. Uh, sure, I guess. And if we I, don't I, start, If we don't start now, it's going to sneak up on us. I, I didn't want episode uh, 100 to be under such lackluster conditions, but it looks like that's 
more than likely going to end up being the case, isn't it? Uh, I mean, Episode 100 should have been recorded from the, the bar on the upper deck of an A380 or something fun. Well, I mean, there, there's bound to be one parked close to us, so we sure can find enough. one. Okay. All right. Episode 90. We'll, we'll start planning ahead. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with... Jason Rubinowitz. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.